so we're in the book of Ecclesiastes, and if you didn't hear the first couple of sermons, I'd encourage you to go back because there's going to be some things that I'll mention that they might need to know. One word is, is the word koheleth, which like, what is that? Teacher, preacher. That's what it means, right? But he's a gatherer. He's assembler. He gathers information. He gathers people, and then he says, here's what I have learned. And so guess what he's going to teach on today? The mysterious subject of time right? If you came in early enough, you got to hear our our little worship team. By the way, Aiden, thanks for joining us this morning from Saving Grace, which we're very thankful for that partnership. Um, They serve in a lot of ways. But he was he was playing a song that was that was by the birds. Who who knows that song? Turn, turn, turn. Now a church knows this song because we've been telling them to listen to it. But if you listen to it, it's 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 Ecclesiastes chapter three. Uh, the only thing they added was turn, turn, turn. Everything else they ripped off of the Bible. And, and so I guess God allows pop songs, which I never thought he would. Um, I'm more of a grunge guy myself. Uh, so I, I think I need to have my thinking changed. But the whole thing is about time. The whole thing is about time. And Augustine, uh, in his confessions, he said this on the subject of time. He knows what time is until he's asked to explain it. Man, it's so true, right? Like, what is time? Well, past, present, future. But it's so much more than that. It's a very complex subject. Think about it. We kill time, right? We save time. We rob time. We get robbed of time. We lose time. We have time. We have all the time in the world. But none of us are actually able to stop the march of time, which keeps on going quicker and quicker, right? Um, It's something that's completely out of our control, It's difficult to comprehend, yet each of us will try to explain it at different times in our lives, right? Uh, Just this week, I I, I turn on my little device there, and and what comes up on Facebook is this thing called Time Hop. Who knows what Time Hop is? Yeah, it's it's an evil thing. It really is, because five years ago on that day, I was in Maine, and I was with my family, and it was a glorious trip. And I look at my little girl, who's not even here, it's Father's Day, she's in Florida, with my dad. So I don't have a dad, I don't have a daughter, they're gone. And, and it's the strangest thing, right? And, and I just look at this little girl who's now 16, about to be 17, I'm like, who, it, who was that? That was a minute ago. And that was actually five years ago. Well, thank you, Time Hop. Um, it was good to be reminded, but then I was reminded, boy, time flies, doesn't it? But it really doesn't. It just goes at the same speed all the time. Strange. If you live long enough, I have, you'll find yourself saying things that older people used to say. I now am that older person. Boy, time flies. Yeah, well, that's one. That is one. But when you get old, the older you get, the quicker time goes, right? Um, I, I'm saying that now, and I'm like, oh, I have, I have lived long enough to say that. The opposite's true also, though. If you're in a season of, of suffering, um, time seems to drag at times. Now, now, it will go quick. I remember there was a season in my life where my sister was dying of cancer for three years, and it seemed that life just poof, came to a halt, but it seemed to go like that, too. It was the strangest thing, and, and so time really is... It's, it's complex. Well, thankfully, Ecclesiastes 3 gives us a, a little bit of a poem and to think about time, right? So let's look at the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3. I know Eli read it. We, we like to do that here. We're, we're big on the Bible at For the City Church, and so we just don't think you can get enough of it. So we'd like to read the whole chapter so you can hear the theme, because I'm going to break it up and, and do some different things with it. But I want you to hear the Word of God, 
because that's what's authoritative. That's what's important when we gather It's God's word. But let's look at the first eight verses. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. Pause. Everything that comes after this right here is what happens within the scope of those two events. Right? You're born, you die. Well, what about the in-between? And he gives us some scenarios and some things that happen. Well, there's a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And a time to speak and a time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent, a time to speak and a time to love. And a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Listen, this, this poem expresses the, the beautiful complexities of life. It really does. It's full of good times. It's full of difficult times. It's full of a lot of times that are in between those. And for everything, every one of these seasons, there, there is a God who gives a season. And I think that's the thing that, that Solomon, the teacher, is, is trying to get us to see. I mean, you could have all those verses uh, once the poem starts and have anybody sing it and you don't need any view of God. This is what happens. We know this. We see this. So what's the point? Well, the first point is God providentially orchestrates every season in our lives. Do you believe this? Right? I'm not asking do you believe the, the word structure. Yes, oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm asking do you believe it to the core of who you are when difficult seasons come. Right? A lot of times people will believe it intellectually in their heart and applicate not so much, right? You can see it by how they respond to different things. That God is the author of every season of life. These are the seasons that, that God gives and that He does everything in just the right time. Do you believe that? You know, that God brings the mountaintop moments of your life where everything just seems to be going really well. But he also allows and brings the valleys of the life that you would skip if you could. He brings both comfort and he brings challenge. This is the God of the Bible. I mean, many people, myself included, if I'm, if I'm not thinking, we prefer a one-dimensional deity. I mean, we really do. I just want the time to laugh, right? That sounds good. The time to feast, I'm, I'm all for feasting and laughing. If we could do both, that'd be a great night, right? Music, dancing, sure. I mean, not that good, but I can do the chubby man shuffle, right? Like, that's what we want. If you could just skip all the hard stuff, well, I think I'd be down with that. We think of, of God appointing the time to be born, but he's absent when death happens. Like, well, where were you? He was there. He appointed it. We'd much rather picture God just kind of happily planting seeds of ease wherever he goes, and they just grow up into our joy. And, but we don't like to think of him uprooting the things we love. We don't, we don't like to think of that at all, because it makes us uncomfortable. Here's the thing, though. You and I don't get to make God in our image. He just is who he is. And, and we got to get to know him. 
He simply is. As, as God said in the days of Moses, he said this in Deuteronomy 32, 39. He said, there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Is that the God that, that you think of when you think of God? What does he mean, I kill? What it, you wound? That doesn't sound like the God of, of the day and age here in America. He would never do that. He's too nice. We often make the mistake of thinking of God as love without, consider, without considering the, ra- the reality of his wrath. We, we don't like to think of that. It's too much. But wrath is actually part of God's perfections. What do you mean? Well, he's perfect in love, but he's perfect in wrath. And you can't have him any other way. Or he's not the God of the Bible. He's not the God who is. It's good and right for God to oppose every wicked action and to bring every evil into judgment. And we generally will say, absolutely. But then we realize, but we're evil. Me? No, I mean, no, Hitler, yes. Me? No, you. And me, in case you're wondering. Me. Why? Because what is evil? Well, evil in the Bible is, 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 is much different than what we think of. We generally think of like things crawling on the ceiling, heads spinning around, pea soup. We think that's evil, right? Uh, that is evil, right? It's a, also a strange movie. But, but evil is actually preferring anything above creator God. It's just preferring anything in creation more than him. That's evil. Who's done that? I mean, coveting. <laughs> coveting is at the heart of all of humanity because we love treasure. It's, it's okay to love treasure as long as we understand the giver. And we love the giver more than we love the treasure. But many times our hearts, we're like Mr. Krabs, man, like money, money, money. Like we love the thing. And if, if loving God gets me the thing, then, oh, that's still idolatry. That's us. All right, well, you might know that God controls all things and times and all places. But if we could be honest, we often feel frustrated because we actually don't know what he's up to. Like, if you could just text me, Lord, and like, let me know how this thing ends, how it comes out, I'd appreciate that, right? Think about it. When, when, when we're enjoying life, dining, dancing, laughing, most of us never slow down enough to realize that, that we're creating moments with people that soon will die, that you're going to be at their funeral before you know it, mourning the loss of them. You just don't think like People just don't generally think like that. You might think like that. I do think like that, and it's weird. It's like I'm, I'm thinking of this moment, but it's actually a gift. It's because I've been to a lot more funerals than I've been to weddings. I come from an old family. My dad was the youngest of seven. I'm, I'm a, I'd love to say a mistake. There's no such thing, but I was like, oh, baby. Um, not for my mom. My mom sabotaged it. Thank you, mom. She's with the Lord now. I think he's pleased. My dad was eventually pleased. <laughs> Not at first. The story's funny. I don't have time for it. The flip side of the coin, though, is also true. You know, when we're overcome with life's burdens and we're on the edge of despair, you and I rarely will ever think about that this season, too, will pass. We will laugh again. We will dance again. We will enjoy life again. Maybe in a few short months. Maybe in a few weeks. We just don't think like that. Well, if we could, by God's grace, learn from Ecclesiastes that there really is a time for everything in every season that we're currently living in, 
I think that our capacity to enjoy the life that God has given and capacity to enjoy God would certainly grow. One commentary writer said this. He said, many of our frustrations rise from our blindness to the change of season or to the pain of joy or pain or joy of them. And we struggle to adjust our expectations. He's he's saying our frustration for seasons arise because we just don't know the next season's coming. You've ever had that? You're enjoying the season you're in. Something right now changes it. And before you know it, you're frustrated because you just didn't know it was coming. You couldn't prepare for it. I think that's true. We know this is true when it comes to just seasons of change of of uh, climate, right? We know this is true. Spring, summer, fall, winter, second winter in Pennsylvania. (laughs) I love all of them except second winter. I hate second winter. It's gray. It's dark. It's been too long. Let's bring on some sunshine. But, but even those who do not like winter, like my wife, you, it's easier to accept it because you know it's coming. You just know it's coming. I mean, and if you don't know it's coming and you've lived this long, that's embarrassing. Like, I, I say every year it's coming. You know it's coming. We're prepared for it. Like, if you don't like it, I, I suggest move. I, I mean, right, like climate warming up, it's not going to affect it enough where you're not going to get snow here. At least not anytime soon, so you're going to have to go to Arizona. You might get snow there. I don't know. It depends where you live. But you're able to prepare yourself for the difficulty that's coming, right? You winterize the house. You do the things. You bring in all the stuff, and you get ready. You batten down the hatches, and you endure. It's just what you do if you don't like winter. But here's the problem. The seasons of our lives never work like that. They just don't work like that. We, we don't get to see God's calendar for the season that's coming. He sees it. He's, not only does he see it, he knows. Not only does he know, but he's the one that allowed the wind to blow it in. He brings it. We don't know when the next storm front of our lives will come or when it will give way to sunshine, but God knows. Many of you have lived most of your life in the valley where there's just no sunshine, and I'm sorry about that. Um, some of you have lived on the mountaintop where it's just, it's just beautiful. Just walk outside and the sun hits you and it's just every day is a good day. I know that's not true completely, but can I just tell you that every one of us are one phone call away from our lives changing drastically. And some of you know what I mean. Some of you don't know what I mean, but you believe me. And some of you think, not me. But I'm telling you, it's true. Um, I think of a, a couple, I, I had the joy of going to Johnny and Friends camp. If you don't know what it is, look it up online. It's excellent. And I get to go there, and I get to hear great stories of redemption every year. And there's this one couple, man, they're just, they're glorious. I, I try to get time with them, but I don't want to hog time with them because they're there. I encourage everyone else, but I'm like, hey, I need some too. And uh, this couple, they're so beautiful. I mean, and I, I mean, physically, sure, but I mean just the who they are. Um, this man was, I mean, a, a full of life man. He was like a, a, a lumberjack that climbed up in trees and whacked tops off and do all these things. And crazy man had an accident won't go into the details and he's now in a wheelchair and he could have he could have just talked about how sad life is and he probably had those moments by the way my guess is he had those moments but this man accomplishes more in a wheelchair now than I accomplish with two good legs and I'm just like you gotta be kidding me and and his outlook on it is allowed he's, he's God has allowed this to happen to me and and I'm going to to seek to glorify him with every ounce of who I am until the day he calls me home and, and he would tell you he's running a greater race now without working physical legs than he ever did when they worked. 
His whole perspective changed. And his wife, she's the real hero. That's almost always true. It's almost always true. Because this woman, her life changed too. Big time. And, and they could have just had the pity party and, and really just, you know, poor us. But they said, no, this is an opportunity to glorify God in a unique way. And so they come, and he's a mentor to people who are on the front end of that season. And they're just trying to figure out, how do we live? And he's like, well, there's hope. And, and the beauty is, is because it's Johnny and friends, there's a gospel hope that's far beyond this moment. But he also wants to help you have a hope right now. That God's allowed this to happen. He is sovereign. He is at work. This is part of his work. And man, people don't want to hear that. No, not my God. He would never allow that. But he, but he did. So, so what do you do when you're in a season that you don't enjoy? It's a really good question to think about, right? Um, Jesse and I, my wife and I, we, we used to think we just need to weather the storm and get through this season of suck, right? And, and then what's on the other side of that season? Sunshine. But, but here's what we learned. Um, thankfully, by God's word, by God's, oh man, his saints, his many saints, he's taught us a lot of things and, and he's, he's allowed us to hear them. That, that even the seasons we don't like are from the hand of God. And here's the thing, you better enjoy that because the season that's coming behind it might not be sunshine, but it might be worse. <laughs> right? Who's, who, who's living for the next season of life? You don't have to raise your hand. I know you're in here. If I just get through this, if I, if I just get through that, if I just finish school, get married, get a house, buy a car, do the thing, get a spouse, get a kid, get the kids out of the house, get a different spouse, <laughs> right? Like, you, you just think, gosh, if I could just get through whatever season I'm in. By the way, for anybody who's not new, we're not, like, promoting, like, you know, ending a marriage. We're not. But you're thinking that at times, or you're way better. Um, you just think, I just got to get through the season. But the problem is, the season might be worse. The, the question becomes, who's the God who's sovereign over this season? That's the question. And so he goes on. I mean, much of what we're going to look at now is, is really in Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 22. I'm not going to read it again. I will highlight some particular verses within that text. You should read it. You should study it. We've been encouraging our church to do that. But, but here's what I want you to know. Point two, every difficult season will eventually be made beautiful someday. That's hope. We need that. We, we, we need hope. You and I need hope. We find, we, whenever we find ourselves in a season of hardship, we should wait for God. We should. Should wait. By the way, when I say wait for God, I don't mean sit on the couch and, and like, you know, binge Netflix series. That's not what it means to wait on God. It, it means to anticipate Him, to prayerfully seek Him, to worship Him, to enjoy Him, to gather on a Sunday morning with your brothers and sisters when you don't want to. When it's easier just to hit the snooze button, to pull the covers over your head, to disengage. No, you should engage him, but you should wait. Why? Because it's not, it's not for us to know, as, as Acts 1-7 says, to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. By his own authority. He's fixed them. They're coming. In the meantime, we're called to wait for God's timing, right? By, by God's grace, we should wait for God's timing like Isaiah who said, 
And he promised that those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. He will come along. He will strengthen you in the midst of your, your valley moment, in your downward season, right? Or, or like David, who said, I trust in you, O Lord. My times are in your hand. Your times, he's not up there wringing his hands, wondering why it's not working out. Oh, he's allowed seasons of frustration. Why? Hang in there. We'll get to it. These words should be the prayer of every believer. That we trust that God is sovereign. And I think there's a lot of people that say that, but it doesn't actually bring comfort until you realize that He's good too. I mean, if God is just sovereign and He's not good, that's not good news. But if God is sovereign and His rule and His reign and His perfection, but that He delights to do His children good, oh, that should bring you, this should be the most comforting thing in the world to ever give your thought to. But in the most difficult of seasons, how can we know? Well, we, we look to the Word of God. We look to the Word of God and we look, we look back on His faithfulness. We look to past grace in our lives. And you're like, well, I don't have a lot of past grace in my life. Well, you probably do. You might not be able to see it. So then look to the Word of God and see His grace all throughout the time of history and histories. And, and allow that to give you hope that this God who makes promises keeps them. And that'll give you hope for the future. And that's future grace. Well, what about the present? It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Time's like that, right? Well, there is a present grace. Otherwise, you're not even breathing. But you don't, you're not ever in the present, really. Oh, a minute right now. No, it's gone. It's already passed. It's already passed. So, so what do I do? You remind yourself of the faithfulness of God in the past. And that should ensure I have hope for the future. And you anchor your heart to the Word of God in these moments. Rather than, than and I, I don't say this detached from, from understanding suffering, but I'm going to say it in a way that, that gets your attention, hopefully. Rather than throwing ourselves on the ground with some kind of spiritual tantrum, do you know what I mean by that? I've had it. I've been on it. I mean, I didn't really kick and scream, but if you could see my heart, it was a toddler. And insisting that everything run the way that we expect in our timing. We actually throw ourselves upon the throne of grace and we say, help me to receive. Help me to receive. Trusting that you are a God who is good and that you will bring about beauty from wreckage. Help me to trust you. Because that's what we need. Knowing that God is perfect in his timing, how do we know? Well, one thing, he sent Jesus the Savior of the world, who was born, as Galatians 4.4 says, when the fullness of time had come. He sent him. There was a, he knew when he was going to send him. It wasn't like, hmm, what do you think? Now, Holy Spirit, eh, Jesus, are you up for it? Eh. No, he knew when he would send him. By the way, before he was sent, there was 400 years of silence that Israel was working with. Could you imagine? I feel like the Lord's not hearing my prayers. For three weeks, I just, I just, I'm not feeling them in my tummy. 400 years of silence. And Jesus shows up on the scene quietly, a baby. Right? I'm sure it wasn't quiet. It's was probably a lot of crying, animals, and all sorts of craziness. But as far as human history goes, it's a pretty, pretty little blip on the radar, but it's a big deal, like the biggest deal ever. The fullness of time had come. And, and what did he come to do? A lot of things. A lot of things. Primarily to die. To die. Why? So he could reconcile sinners 
to the Savior, who is the Savior to the Father. Why? So we could have life and have life abundantly. This is the God we worship. He did that at the right time, Romans 5, 6 says. He has a beautiful sense of timing. Now, now just imagine the gospel narrative in time. Imagine the moments when, when Jesus was doing all the things, right? What are all the things? Healing people, right? Hey, you're dead, not allowed. Get up. Let's go, right? Like, he's feeding thousands with, like, a kid's lunchable, right? Like, hey, we don't have much. That's all right. I got it, right? Like, he, he's water skiing without a boat or water skis. He's doing the thing. These are mountaintop moments. The disciples are like, this is pretty awesome. Okay, Friday comes, right? He dies, Imagine them in time, in that moment, right now. What do they, they think that's a beautiful time? And you're like, yeah, they knew the Bible. They had, no, they did not think it was a beautiful time. Imagine Sunday. Imagine Sunday at the resurrection. But what about the day in between that no one talks about? What about Saturday? This is a horrible day. So what are we going to do? We've given three years of our lives to follow this man, and he's dead. Well, he makes everything beautiful, and it's time. And Sunday came, and man, it was beautiful. He resurrected from the grave. And now all their hope is secure. All their hope. They got it. And then they had 40 days of a Bible study with the Word of God. And with the Word of God. And it's just, it's unreal to think about. That's the God we're hoping in. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He, God, has made everything beautiful. Beautiful. Fitting. Be another good word here in its time. God works all things together in a fitting way, in a beautiful way, according to his perfect design. Do you believe that? Do you know this God? Think about it. He, he is an, he's the artist who, who places each tile perfectly in the mosaic. And if you're like, I don't know what a mosaic is. I didn't really either. Went to Israel, and they're everywhere. And they're amazing. They're these tiles that are real small, and they'll just place them. And I bet when someone's putting it together, you're like, I wonder what that's going to be like. But he knows the whole picture. You just, you're, you're one tile. I'm not saying you're insignificant, but in, in the scheme of things, you and I are pretty insignificant. But God makes a big deal about humanity. Why? Because we're made in God's image. And he's for the people of this world. He loves them so much he sent his son to die in their place. If you only saw one black tile that was maybe a part of the night sky, you'd think this is pretty, pretty miserable. But what if you saw the whole thing and the galaxy came together in the mosaic? That's pretty stunning. This is just one moment in time. He, he, he's the weaver who actually threads all things together in an exquisite tape, tapestry, right? What is that? My grandma used to do that while she would like watch Murder, she wrote, which was such a, ugh. anyway, but there she was in the chair and doing the thing, and, and I'd see on the back of it, and I'm like, that's not that good. <laughs> grandma, you don't got a lot of skill here, and she'd flip it over, I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing, grandma. Life is like that. He, he's, he's the painter who, with a, a few Strokes of the brush can change the whole landscape of your life. And you think, man, it's, it's, it was better the way it was. But you can't see the end picture. I mean, we get glimpses. You're not left with only the book of Ecclesiastes, thank God. I mean, seriously, we have to, we have to take this in scope of all the Bible. You, you have the New Testament. We have the book of Revelation. We, we, and some people are like, I know, and it causes me fits. It, it shouldn't. It's, if you're in Christ. The book of Revelation tells you how it ends. 
You're like, yeah, but there's codes in it, and there's like 666 and marks of this and that, and there's beasts that come out of the Pacific and bite heads. Okay, chill out, first off. Get a picture of the God who rules and reigns and know that this is how it ends, and it's beautiful. You win if you're in Christ because he wins every time. Okay, that's better. That's a better picture, right? This is the God we worship. The tricky thing is, though, we all want a Bob Ross kind of God, don't we? Like, who here knows who Bob Ross is? This guy's famous, man. Like, so when I had, I had the, the COVID back in the day, um, don't have it now, chill out. Uh, I found a lot of comfort watching Bob Ross. Don't know why. I would never watch him any other time. But I remember being a young boy watching Bob Ross. For those who don't know, he's kind of a hippie who does paintings and puts happy little trees everywhere, right? And so there I am, and I'm watching Bob Ross, and we want a God like that. What, do, what does that mean? Well, you know, um, the, the God who, we don't make mistakes. We just make happy little accidents, why would we want a God like that? You know, because if, if it doesn't go right, he just says, let's just put a happy little tree there. Let's, let's just do that. I want a God who just puts happy little trees everywhere, decorate them up for Christmas, right? The problem is God's not at all like that. At, I mean, not at all. He doesn't have a fro. He's not a hippie, right? Like, he purposely puts things. He's in control of the whole painting at all times. He knows exactly what's happening. And, 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 and there are times, instead of placing a happy little tree in the canvas of things, he puts a little nasty little honey badger in it, and it attacks you. And you're just like, I don't understand this. Like, why would he allow a honey badger to bite my ankle? I don't know why, but he did. Why would he do that? Or, or maybe painfully paint a little porcupine for you to bump into. Oh, God wouldn't do that. We don't know why, but he does do that. And you're like, well, that sounds vindictive. Well, let's look, though. Let's keep reading a little bit. Listen to what, what the preacher says in verse 11. So, so we don't know why he does that. But look, also he has put eternity into man's heart so he's given us a longing for the transcendent. This is another way to say it. We, we ask big questions, big existential questions we want answers for, right? The cardinal that's on the branch in your backyard is not asking these questions. You're like, oh, I love birds. They're very brilliant. They might be, but they're not asking these questions. Humans are. We want to know why. Well, why, 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 why? Why does that happen? Well, because God put eternity into your heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. See, part of enjoying life under the sun, that's a phrase that, that the teacher loves, is it's just saying, really apart from God, under the sun, in this moment, at this time, is coming to the understanding that this is not all that there is to life. There's an eternity more for us to enjoy and to experience if you're in Christ. There's a bigger picture that you and I cannot see right now. And if we could see it, we would embrace the moment that we're currently in because it's stunning, it's beautiful. But we can't see that because many times when suffering comes, we just look here. We look inward. We don't look upward. We look at our navel. We don't look at our Bible. And this is why you need the church. It's one of the many reasons you need the church because we go from crisis to community to healing. There's a time you and I can't lift our eyes up from our moment of despair. That's why you need friends to come alongside you and say, listen, 
we have a living hope. Why? Because Christ is alive. And, and you might say more than that, but for the sake of time, you, you weep with them when you're weeping. But there's got to come a time when you make a pot of coffee and say, let's look at the Word of God together. Let's get some perspective here. Let's be reminded of the goodness of our God. And you direct their gaze to the God who created them, to the God who knows them, to the God who loves them, to the God who sent his son to die for them so that you might have a hope that could never be shaken. This is the God we worship. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all. I'm not a Greek scholar, but you know what that means in the original language? It means all. It's, it's what it means. There you go. That's your Greek lesson for the day. All means all. Well, what's all? That, that includes everything, right? Works all. God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Hmm. All. Does that mean sin? Because sin's a part of all. Yeah. Oh, that makes me nervous. Well, think of the gospel. Shouldn't it make you nervous? It was a horrific evil to kill the perfect God-man. And yet, God brought beauty from that great evil. Namely, the resurrection. It's pretty important. It's pretty important. Well, if his hands are not tied in that moment of great evil, God's able to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for your ultimate good. And here's the thing. This is where a lot of prosperity guys start to twist that and say, so, and then they, they say a bunch of other things we're not going to get into. But I want you to know, gospel people, that all means that even in the suffering, he's working for a greater good. And that greater good is that you'd be more like his son, Jesus. He brings about your sanctification to be more like Christ through seasons of suffering. If you were to take a, a piece of wrought iron and just wave it in the air, it's not going to get real sharp and you're going to look really dumb. Iron sharpens iron when it clangs together. You and I need the porcupine in our path so that we'll turn our gaze to the God and say, why? Help me. Help me. I'm hurting. I'm bleeding. And he's not far removed from that moment. He's with you, and he's allowed it, and he has a beautiful thing he's going to do in it. God will work all things together for the good of those who are called according to in a beautiful, wise way that makes perfect sense because he sees the whole picture. He sees it all. It won't always make sense to us in this moment. There's going to be, you're going to have questions to the day you die that just won't get answered. Some will. Some will. You're going to have pieces of brokenness that are on this side of eternity that just are not going to be healed on this side of eternity. Smark it. But there will be a day he'll make all things new. He'll make all things beautiful. You'll be able to see the full picture. And in that moment, you will worship him in splendor. And my encouragement, church, is that we worship him in the moment of the brokenness too. Why? Because he's worthy. Notice verse 14. I, I perceive, so little light's coming in to the teacher's eyes, that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor nothing taken away from it. God has done it. Why did he do it? Listen to what he says. So that people fear before him. That's why he did it. So, fear. Oh, oh, listen, God is not a cruel artist who's having fun at the expense of his children. He's not like that at all. He, his 
He's not created a world without meaning, leaving us to wander through the briar patches of, of life and just like getting cut up and hoping to get to the other side so you can actually enjoy the berry that you picked off. He's not like that at all. Instead, God designed us for, for, to desire an eternal beauty that comes from Him because He is the author of it so that we would fear Him. And not like, ah, but like awe, reverence, enjoyment, He's worthy to be worshipped. He has all times in His hands. He does these amazing things and He is worthy to enjoy and to give praise even when you don't understand it with your finite little mind. Mine too. He's infinite. He's far above anything you and I could ever imagine. But He tells us who He is. This is the beauty of our God. We don't have to guess. He, he tells us in His Word, this is who I am. Listen to what Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, see God is infinitely beautiful. And when we see Him for who He is, not necessarily who we want Him to be, we will enjoy Him. We will fear Him. We will worship Him. We will have awe at this great God. And we will gladly submit our lives to this God in His timing, knowing that whatever the locust eats, He'll, he'll restore it. How? <laughs> we don't always know. But I know He will. I know He will. Because there's going to be a day where He'll make all things new. I mean, He's not going to death star this thing. Right? That's for my, my little nerdy friends, right? I, I'm not even into that, but I know a couple guys that are and they enjoy that. Great. I think we think like that. The book of Revelation. <laughs> no, it's, it's not like that. He's going to make all things new, He's going to refine it. All the sin, all the wickedness, all the things are gone. And what, what has He done? He, he just brings out all the beauty. And we get to enjoy Him. And we get to enjoy our friends who are in Christ forever. Our family forever. You're not going to be a chubby little angel plucking a harp. You're not. You're going to get a glorified body. You're going to be resurrected to new life. You're going to live on a new heaven and a new earth with no sin. With no brokenness. And you'll see the full picture. But you won't understand God completely. Could you imagine in two billion years you're still learning and, and experiencing the greatness of God, one trillion years later, you'd be like, I had no clue. You, you'll never get to the end of God. You just won't. Imagine if you did. It'd be boring. What are we going to do with the rest of, I don't know, eternity? We already know it all. You know, you're not going to be God. You're going to worship God for all of time, forever. Simply put, God is God and we are not. And that's what we do with time. He controls all things at all times in every place. He's fiercely good. You know, there's moments where you just you doubt it. Right? I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. This doesn't feel good. This scenario seems bad. If you are sovereign, and I know you are, you could change this. You're not changing this. Why are you not changing this? Do you not see? The next words come out your mouth is, do you not care? This is where a lot of people get stuck. What do I do in the moment? This is just one little piece of the tile on the whole mosaic, but this is my piece. 
It's the most important piece to me right now outside of you. I don't understand why. And if all you do is stare at that piece, you'll start to deconstruct things you ought not. And before you know it, you can't see the picture. You don't know what tile it is. And you're crawling under a rock and you're just becoming a nihilist. And you're saying it doesn't matter. But, but where do you go? You go to the greatest artwork we can see, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you gaze upon his goodness. You ever wonder if God is good? Look to the cross. Why? Because at the cross, man, if you can see beauty in the cross, it's how you know you're him. You're in him. It's how you know you're his. It's how you know you enjoy God. Because the world looks at that and says, it doesn't even make sense. A naked man beaten, bloody, dying. How is that good news? Well, it's good news because you understand that because of our great rebellion, you and I deserve the wrath of God. Can I just tell you that right now? Many people won't tell you that. The only thing you deserve is the wrath of God. That's it. You don't deserve ice cream. You don't deserve sunshine. You don't deserve rain. You don't deserve any of these things. You only, I only deserve the wrath of God. Why? Because we were born in Adam. And if you don't know what that means, it's bad news. It means you and I were born sinners, broken, fractured. And you're like, well, can't God just like rub our head like a little toddler and say it'll be all right, buddy, and give us a sucker? No. Why? Because he's perfect. And you and I can't really understand that. Not completely, not fully. Why doesn't he just say it's okay? Because then he would not be good. And for him to be good, he must punish all evil. And I'm saying, well, because of us being in Adam, we're evil. That's bad news. It's very bad news that we're in Adam. What needs to happen? A miracle. And it happens at the cross because he sends his son, who is perfect. He's the perfect God-man. He is a, he's 100% God. He's 100% man. He's one person of the triune God. We worship Father, Son, Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. And He sends His Son to live the perfect life you and I could never live. And, 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 and He did it all perfectly, right? But then He died in our place. A substitute, right? He took the sin that we have committed upon himself and he received the wrath of God in our place. And in doing so, in doing so, the wrath of God was, was pleased in that moment. He was pleased. But many people stop there. But the gospel doesn't stop there. Because Jesus is and was and always will be perfect, he triumphantly resurrected from the grave. And when he did, he defeated Satan, sin, and death. And he's made a way for all people to come to the throne of grace to receive two main things that you and I desperately need. Forgiveness of all our past, present, and future sins. And a righteousness that cannot, doesn't come from us. It's given from him. And so now you and I can stand completely forgiven. You and I, in the courtroom of heaven, are as perfect as Jesus Christ. And we embrace that. And we receive that as a gift. It's a gift. It's given. Oh, what do I have to do to earn it? Nothing. You can't earn it. He gives it. Well, what do I do? You receive it by faith. That's why Christians are saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way to be saved. And, and for those who are in Christ. And I just tell you that no matter the season that you're in, you now have the gift of the Holy Spirit living with you and you can worship God and enjoy your life. Not the life you want. Not the life you wish you had. 
but the life you're in right now. And that might mean you have tears rolling down your cheeks. But it's the life you have. But it is not the final picture. Why? Because you're in Christ. And he makes all things new. Including this little title piece called your life. This is the God we worship. And he's worth your worship. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus... Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Part of accepting an acceptable worship is is understanding who he is, knowing him from his word, and responding in relation to him according to his word. Uh, I want you to look at just just one more verse. We're going to read a quote and we'll be done. Verses 12 through 13, look what, it, look what it says in Ecclesiastes 3. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that every, everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is the gift of God. This is God's gift to man. See, it, it takes a tremendous amount of grace to be able to embrace the life that God has given you when, when, you, when all you see is darkness and you can't see around the corner. It takes so much grace. If you've ever met someone like that, be their friend. Learn from them. Ask them questions. But you, sometimes you just got to go through the class too. Almost always. It takes wisdom to know what season of life that you're in. Right? It's embarrassing when you don't. Right? Like Jake, Jake wears shorts in February. <laughs> There's times I think he doesn't know what season he's in. It's cold. My face hurts. Like this air is cold. And he's just out there and he's a Viking and he's got like shorts on. Okay, some people might think, well, that's a little embarrassing. Ah, no, it's just Jake. It's just Jake. But if you're in a season of suffering and you're just happy, slappy and pretending it's not happening, it's not going to help you. So you weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. But your hope isn't in that moment. Hope comes as you look forward and you see your God. Hope comes when you look at as you look at the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done. So, so know the season you're in. Try to live appropriately to it. And, and then no matter what season of life you find yourself in right this moment, by God's grace this week, and, and these aren't like absolutes, like you get the picture, right? Like enjoy the warmth of the sunshine. So just get outside and, and feel the sun on your face. Seriously, right? Like, go for a walk. Take some time to pray. Um, Go to Twin Lakes, possibly. It's a beautiful little spot if you're from the area, right? Watch the sun rise, or if you're like me, watch it set. (laughs) I'm sure it's nice when it rises, too. Slowly sip on a cappuccino with a friend at the White Rabbit. I really recommend the cappuccino. Tommy's a great guy. He'll make you a good one. Enjoy it. Tip well. Be kind, right? Go to the Sun Dog right? And, and get yourself a really good taco, full of flavor, right? Or El Diablo. <gasps> Did the pastor say to go to the devil's restaurant? Yes, they have great, I'm talking amazing, like pizzas, brick oven pizzas. And, and all things that are good are from God, right? So it's not his restaurant anyway, right? Go and enjoy it. Enjoy time with your family. Enjoy time with loved ones. Take some time and visit someone who's probably going to see Jesus sooner than later, and, and let them know all the things you appreciate about them in life. Do me a favor, church. Don't be the type of people who wait to the funeral to say the things you should have said while they were alive. 
Enjoy your life. Do good. Cry if you need to cry. Weep. Weep deeply. But don't weep as a people without hope. Here's the quote. It comes from uh, a man named Terrence Malick. He's not a Christian. Um, he's a Jewish fella and uh, doesn't believe in the Messiah. But he, he, he does these books and movies. And one of them is called The Tree of Life. And listen to this quote. He says, the nuns taught us there are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. This is from the movie. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too, likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it and love is smiling through all things. Enjoy your life. Which will you choose? If you're in the gospel, you're a people of grace. Choose the way of grace. What does that mean? It means that you're not going to be a user and a taker. It means you're going to be a receiver and a giver. You're going to receive God's grace and you're going to give it to the people around you. That's the way of grace. The way of nature might seem fun for a minute, but it's not. It's not at all. The way of grace is the way to go, and that's the way of Christ. And we seek to be more like Christ here. So let's seek to do that by his amazing grace. Um, in a moment, we're going to pray. You're like, hey, there's a big section about judgment that you missed. Do you guys not talk about that? Well, we did talk about that, but we didn't talk about it in chapter 3 because it's going to roll over into chapter 4. So come back next week. It will be a big theme. Part of the reason you and I can have a joyful life even in the midst of sorrow is because we know that there will be one day that the Lord will open all the books and all the things will be made right, perfectly, just, justly. We will see it. We will see it. Nothing will be hidden. It will all be revealed and we'll understand all the whys that we might have now. And that might not bring you comfort, but if you're in Christ, it ought to bring you a lot of comfort because he opens the books of life and he opens the books of death. And listen, if you're in the book of life, no one can take you out of it. And if you're in Christ, you're in it. And you get to enjoy him forever. And all the things you think right now, I wish that there would be some justice here. There will be. Hang in there. Hang in there and keep praying. Keep seeking those who are far from him because he loves to save sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, for your love, and for helping us to see who you are. You did not leave us alone in the dark to grope and try to figure it out. You revealed yourself perfectly through the person and work of Christ. He is the exact imprint of who you are. When we, when we wonder, what, what is God like? We look to Christ. You've made God visible. You are God in the flesh. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to have a right perspective, that you would help us to worship you properly, that we would see you more clearly, that we'd see ourselves properly in the light of your holiness, that we'd understand we're way more sinful than we actually ever realize, but that we don't need to despair because in Christ we're holy too. God, help us to see that. Help us to know you. Help us to love you. Help us to worship you properly. And help us to love one another, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.